0: Hosting provided by Host Tornado. They offer website hosting packages, dedicated servers, and VPS solutions. HostT.net
1: Programming Throwdown, Episode 37, Funky Languages. Take it away, Jason.
0: Hey, everybody. So, uh, yeah, we got an interesting question from... uh, Many
1: interesting questions
0: yeah we got several interesting yeah definitely several interesting questions um i try to answer them on uh you know google plus slash facebook slash twitter wherever they come slash email but uh this one was particularly interesting so uh yeah we wanted to discuss it on the show um so will wrote in and said uh basically um what do you guys think about moving to silicon valley um you know i live on the east coast uh he lives in a small town in georgia um, I'm assuming he's doing tech uh developing mobile applications, and uh, he just wants to know should I uh you know make the trip over to silicon valley so i don't know you what do you think I'll, i'll, I'll uh I'll let you have the first shot of this
1: There are many factors which should influence one's decision to relocate
0: oh god <laughs> first,
1: <laughs> uh, so no 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 but seriously like um If you've never visited and you haven't, like, if you're just thinking, like, should I interview? The answer is yes, you should probably interview. Well, that makes sense. More generally, you should interview. Uh, Part of that is you'll probably get a chance to come out here because we are in the Silicon Valley. So that's why I say here. Um, Right. So you'll get a chance to come out and visit, see what it's like. Um, But I mean, everybody will tell you that property is really expensive, it's expensive to buy a place to live in or even just to rent a place, uh, at least in the really uh, kind of main part of silicon valley um but there is a reason why everybody wants to live here that is that there's a lot of good places to work and you know the area is beautiful the weather is great um and people love paying
0: taxes (laughs) people love paying taxes i think you make a really good point if you interview um provided you make make it past the phone screen um you basically get a free trip to silicon valley that's for
1: most big companies every company is a little different but most big companies are that way
0: even startups actually like uh when i was looking around when i was still on the east coast um uh startups would also pay for you to for you to come oh okay yeah yeah, at the time i was interviewing at tesla and uh at the time they were like really small company and they they uh they totally flew me over there or offered to fly me over there ended up picking a different company but uh but yeah so so you know you can interview get a free trip make sure you uh if possible interview on you know like a monday or a friday so you can come the weekend or at least that's true you know take some days off or something um and
1: be upfront with the recruiter right because their job is to be very nice to you um and i, I was i'm always i give this advice but i know i was always very timid in asking for things or accommodation basically but you know if you have a significant other a spouse or something don't take advantage of it in my opinion but like you know, if they're debating whether or not they would also like to move, you should say, "Hey, like as a as a couple, we're determining this. Like, is it possible for my wife to join me on this trip or whatever?" Um, yeah, that's
0: that's a really good point. I mean, I, I didn't do that, and I kind of regretted it. I mean, it it worked out fine, but uh, it was a little nerve wracking for my wife to uh, like literally her first day in California was the day we moved, and it's like there's really no going back. And so, yeah, if I had to do it over again, I would have asked, you know, if you think about it, if you interview at like a big company, you know, uh, you know, two or $300 plane ticket, I mean, they, you know, they're not gonna, it's not gonna set them back and it could yeah, really do you and a And having lot another good.
1: person isn't really that big a deal because like, you know, they don't have to pay for another hotel room or, uh, right. or really anything. Um, so there, uh, I did ask it from one recruiter, um, not for the Bay area, but, um, for another area and I did ask uh, and they said that I could. I didn't end up taking them up on it because I ended up taking another offer. Um, but I, they were very, you know, sure, of course, you know, like that's no problem. Uh, and I had actually already flown there and interviewed and I was asking to fly me and my wife together out again to do kind of like an exploration trip and they were okay with that as well.
0: Yeah, right. So um, that totally makes sense. So getting back to the question, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Yeah, no, no. I mean, so, so you're right that you should definitely interview and all that. So we didn't waste time or anything. Okay. But, but, but the should uh, you move? Should you move Silicon Valley? So um, here's my take on it. So this is a little bit of a different question, but it'll come back to the main point. Somebody asked me, how come we can't just recreate Silicon Valley, you know, in Florida or or, or somewhere else, right? And there's been many attempts. Like, there's a place in India that's supposed to be like a technology triangle that's trying to be like an incubator, Um, You know, there's a a lot of places all over the world that are are like kind of tech incubators Um, and a lot of them like get traction. And of course, they're successful to some degree, but like none of them are close to the success of Silicon Valley. Right. And what I think about this is that you have sort of this pool of talent and, and a lot of the information you need to be a successful tech company is sort of latent. You know, it's, it's, it's lessons learned. It's not something you can really find in school, especially now because, you know, there's so much disconnect. Like people in Silicon Valley aren't going back to university and teaching or anything like that. So there's just so many lessons to be learned and so much um, sort of, what's the word for it, where it's like uh, you just kind of have to, you know, be grandfathered into it. There's not really a way to learn other than. Yeah. It's like this this language that's evolved over time. That basically, you know, to be a successful company, you need a couple of, say, you know, Silicon Valley veterans. And so if there was some kind of migration out of the valley, then we could get these incubators in other places. But at the moment, you know, the best place and one of the only places to get sort of veterans who have been doing, you know, big data or, or you know, practical machine learning or whatever um, is, is here. And those people aren't moving. So, um, so there are other, of, But there okay. are
1: other places, like I, I read stuff a lot um, about New York, right? It's not to the same degree of startups, but like New York City has a lot of tech jobs and, and tech yeah, industry. True. And it somewhat, I think, is partly just the, you need a certain density of people and then a certain percentage of those people to be, you know, technologically minded, advanced computer science people, like that kind of stuff. And the areas, like if you take, uh, you know, Jason and I are both from Florida. If you take the areas in Florida where we were, even if there may be a lot of people, the density is relatively low and uh, the number of people who are from a technology background uh, is also very low.
0: Right. And there's a chicken and an egg problem because um, let's say you're a brand new company, Uh, like you're some startup, you just have an idea, you know, you're Ubar and you want to be, you know, a phone app where people can request bars and they show up, bartenders, and they show up. Um, You know, you're gonna have like a little bit of funding to get started and you need to get some very talented people or at least one very talented person to build, you know, version one of the system. That means you're gonna have to find someone who's willing to quit their job and take a huge risk to join your company. And that means you have to go through a lot of people. Like it might be a one in 10,000 uh, chance that you find someone who's in that position, and so if you go to say you know Florida, where there might only be nine thousand people who have that kind of skill set, now you're really in trouble, right? And so because of that, you know you don't have this sort of snowball effect, and so Silicon Valley is like one of the few places where you can um, where you can go and find some very senior people to work on something, you know that's just an idea, right?
1: So yeah. so I would say, should I move? It's obviously subject to a lot of personal decisions and it is expensive to live here. But mm-hmm. I mean, there are two things that are good. One is Jason kind of talked about like those talented people is also good for you as an employee because there's a lot of people to learn from uh, and a lot of really smart people typically. Um, right. Yeah, there are not smart people too, I guess, but there are a lot of smart people. And if you can find them, you can learn a lot, not even at your own company, but just like everywhere, right? It's all around you. Um, Yeah, definitely. The other thing is, like, for me, it's much better to move on my terms. Like, I decided, like, I wanted to move and moved out here. Um, And then now if something happened and I was forced into needing to get a different job or, you know, there was a downturn in my company, right, then I would be forced to uh, relocate. And if I'm here, the chance of me having to relocate away is uh, low compared to where I was before yeah um, that's true now there's still the problem of like what happens like what happened in 2000s with the tech burst tech bubble burst um but i'm already in the tech industry so like in general it's going to be a bad time for me regardless of where i am
0: yeah definitely definitely so uh yeah I, actually it's, quite, it's quite interesting when the tech bubble burst i don't know if there was necessarily like a like people out of a job actually no i take it back yeah i I read stories about people like i think it got pretty bad yeah yeah that's true but uh to be honest i find it very unlikely i do think that there's a little bit of a bubble now but i think if it burst there's such a lack of talent that uh that the companies that are established will just swoop up all of the talent um i don't feel like that well will run dry you know
1: so basically the long answer is uh it's it's up to you
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean we uh i th- i think sure? i it's fair to say for for both of speak for both of us when i say that you know we love it here but uh but yeah you should definitely uh bring you know your significant other if you have one and uh and and give it a good evaluation um you know before you come so
1: yeah so speaking of silicon valley and startups how does a startup work
0: yeah so you know i think you know we're s- we we've been uh In Silicon Valley, you're completely inundated with startups, like reading about startups, friends who go to work for startups, things like that. But, um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day that when I was in Florida, um, I really had no idea sort of what a startup is or anything. And, uh, you know, we're both tech savvy people, but it's just not a, it's really just a part of Silicon Valley culture. Um, And so I felt like I wanted to try to share that with everyone. So, uh, uh, you know, neither Patrick nor I have ever worked in a startup. Um we both have friends who are who are at startups or have started startups. Um and yeah, basically so this is kind of how it works in a nutshell. And Patrick, please please correct me cuz okay. I'm sure I'm going to mess stuff up. But um you typically um try to start by ta- contacting venture capitalists. So you make a very quick prototype. So some common uh you know examples are the Zappos. Um that Zappos uh you know, shoe sales website, the guy actually started by um, going to Payless, taking like a real, you know, brick and mortar, like a Payless shoe store, taking pictures of the shoes there and then going on his computer and making an HTML page, selling those shoes for, I think it's like a 10 or 15% markup online. And then literally if someone would buy the shoes, he would walk down the street to the Payless, buy the shoes, mail them himself right so it's like super super low tech Um, but uh, it was enough to go to a venture capitalist and say look I've been doing this for a month and I got you know 2,000 people ordering shoes Um, and then what will happen is another way to do it is they have these I don't know if I'd really call them competitions I guess maybe like incubators Um, they have like Y Combinator and Stardex and some of these other ones where you sort of enter a competition and you pitch an idea, you know, with varying degrees of, uh, of of completion and then they choose, you know, some winners, and those winners um, you know, get connected with venture capitalists. But your goal is to get connected to a VC or a venture capitalist. Um, what they will do is they will give you some money, like maybe five million dollars or ten million dollars, but they don't give it to you, they give it to the company. And then as part of giving the company this money, they also sort of set up the company and they set up all the you know, infrastructure you need to run a company. So, so you and the venture capitalist together figure out, for example, how much you should get paid. So like however much you should get paid, that's money that isn't going into the company. And so you know, also like how much of the company you own. So like if you want a really big salary, then the venture capital is going to say, okay, but now you're only going to own 10% of your company instead of owning like 50% you know, of your company. So it's sort of like how much do you want to risk and things like that. Um, once you've sort of set all that up, then now you have this money. You can use the money and your prototype to try to get you know, some of your friends or, or, or other people in the Valley to join your company and, and you can pay them. And it's the same deal for them. Like you can give them money and you can give them, you know, a piece of the company and they can sort of decide how much of either they want to take. And then uh, you're off, you're up and running and you're a startup. Then you go through some rounds. um, So the deal is, you know, eventually you'll burn through your, say, $5 million. Like you'll spend it all. And then you'll say, okay, well, we have a good company but you we know we're not making enough money to cover our expenses yet. Um, so then you go back to these venture capitalists and you say, look, I took your $5 million and I built up this company and the company last year made, let's say, uh, half a million dollars. So what I do need now is I need $10 million so that I can like continue to expand the company. And this, this and this and this and this reason is why you know, I'll, I'm going to turn a profit and all that stuff. And so then they give you some more money to build a bigger company. And, uh, you know, at some point you become very big and you become sustainable. So, for example, like look at uh, Uber, for example. So Uber is still a startup technically because, you know, they haven't IPO'd um, or anything like that. Um, but Uber is, is, as far as I know, is actually, I don't know for a fact, but I believe yeah, Uber is They just is closed profitable. a new round.
1: Oh, they closed the new route. I think it's one of the things. This is is careful, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. there's always a trade off between how fast you grow and, you know, funding your growth from your profits. So, I I believe I'm correct in saying that I think Uber has continued to raise more uh, investment capital uh, to be able to expand even faster, to have a first mover advantage. So, basically, they're trying to get to as many stories as possible, as many cities as possible. And so they could slow down with the cities they are and be essentially profitable, but it costs a lot of money for them to roll out in a new city. And so they'd rather keep bringing on new cities rather than getting profitable. And they're like one of the most well-funded startups in history. So like they have been given like their investors agree with them basically. And, gotcha. and yep. that's what they've chosen to do.
0: So, yeah, what Patrick is saying, like another part of that is, you know, and Groupon has this as well is is um, or had this is uh, it's very hard to sort of, I mean, you hear a lot about patent trolls and patent lawsuits and things like that, but in general, if you have a business idea, it's pretty easy to copy. A- a- and it's also very hard to shut down clones, especially clones in other countries and things like that. So a company like Uber, they have a good idea. They need to get their idea in as many cities as possible so that there isn't like, a Detroit version of Uber, you know, run by a different company, a Houston version of Uber, so on and so forth, so so that they can own all of the cities, right? And so, to Patrick's point, like it might be more important to own all of the cities so there's only one Uber, uh, even if it's, like, going to take a ton of money, and then they can make that money up later. Um, So, yeah, so that part is pretty complicated. At some point, your startup becomes – Pretty big, and then uh, actually, let me step back a bit. So there's there's multiple ways for your startup to not become a startup. Uh, the most common is it dissolves. Um, so I think it's like 90 over 90% of startups fail, uh, and the number one reason they fail is actually infighting. So so the people who work at the startup, you know, clearly the people who work at the startup believe in the startup to varying degrees. And are invested in the startup to varying degrees, you know some of them are getting a bigger salary but are getting less you know portion of the company as a result and so that creates a lot of tension and so actually the number one reason why startups fail is that the people you know there's there's social problems and then the startup falls apart um, Of the startups that succeed, there's two major categories um, one is and this is for more of like startups that are more technology and less of like a product, um, is that the startup gets acquired by a bigger company. So let's say, you know, I make a startup where I do statistics for people, where I built like some cool statistics system. Um, that isn't really a company. Like I couldn't go to Patrick and sell him statistics. Like it's really like a business service. Well, and no, so, so
1: it is a company and you can make money, but... Jason's talking a lot about venture capital and it's hard for them. They want to recoup a lot of money quickly. And so they're taking a lot of bets and they don't want to bet on someone who says over the next 10 years, I'm going to make a million dollars each year, but not grow. I'm just going to keep making a million dollars. Like I don't have a business plan. I don't want to make a billion dollars. I just want to keep making a million dollars every year forever.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. They're not really
1: interested in, in gaining just a percentage of profits each year. They want you to have an exit. They want you to, as Jason's saying, sell it to another company or he'll talk about the other option.
0: Right, right. Like most of the time, I mean, there are exceptions, obviously, but most of the time, if a, if a, if a company um, gets acquired, it's because it has some kind of service. Um, and, you know, usually if, if a company IPOs, it's usually like a product. You know, it could be like a product that serves businesses, but it's sort of a very well-defined product. But if it's like a service, like we do machine learning services to other companies, that, that usually turns into an acquisition. So let me explain both of them. So an acquisition just means, you know, a bigger company says, hey, look, here's the startup. It has like, you know, say eight people. They're all really talented and they all work together and they're not fighting. They haven't destroyed each other. So you know, it'd be great if we could get eight people who are all very talented to work at our big company. Like, it'd be awesome. We could just put them in a team together and we know there's not going to be any problems. So they'll say, you know, let's buy the startup. And so they might make a pretty big investment. Like they might spend like, say, 20 or even $100 million and they buy the startup but what they're really buying is they're buying those people like they know that some of the people on that startup will stay at the big company some of them will leave because you know you can't force someone to work for you but you know some of them will stay and uh, you know they have a very cohesive team and they'll usually work something in writing where everyone has to stay for at least a couple years and things like that Um, that's an acquisition Um, another way that a startup can not be a startup is through what's called an IPO. And that's where a startup becomes a publicly traded company. So do you wanna explain this? You'll probably be better than me.
1: Sure, IPO is an initial public offering. And that basically says that you're going to divide up the company into certain percentage shares and you're gonna offer those to the public. And there's all sorts of rules about uh, how you can do this. And if you look at an example like Facebook is kind of the most recent famous one. Um, but Tesla as well. So um, these are often traded to a small number of people, uh, initially, on what's called a secondary market, a closed market, um, where you have to meet certain criteria in order to be able to trade. In other words, not everyone can buy Facebook shares. Uh, You have to be an investor, basically. Then um, they decide to IPO, which means that there's no company, they either just want to, or there's no company big enough to buy them, or no company that's interested in in paying on their terms, Uh, whatever the reason may be they decide that they were just gonna sell some portion of the percentage to the public Um, and so they do what's called initial public offering and you work through an investment bank to handle all sorts of complication and going to various retirement funds and getting them to agree to buy portions of facebook and uh, you know all this stuff but basically what's going to happen is that uh, it'll be regulated. It'll be known. You're going to declare, uh, here's all my earnings now. Cause before you kept them private and you agree to all this stuff and say, now the public can buy and sell, you know, a share of Facebook. Um, and for all those, say you sell, I'm going to sell 20% of the company and, you know, 20 shares. So basically each share is 1% of the company and, and Facebook keeps 80 of them and sells 20 of them to the public. Uh, and they raise money by the people buying them at whatever the initial offer price is.
0: Right, exactly. So,
1: And then after, from then on, when it's traded, like if you go into your brokerage account and you buy Facebook right now, Facebook doesn't get any money from that. Unless so, you happen to be, unless it happens to be that uh, a person at Facebook is selling you that share. But most likely, you know, like Jason could sell me that share of Facebook. Uh, it's not coming from that company anymore. So they don't continue to make money off of those shares.
0: Right. So, what happens if, like, if you buy all the shares, and you just own the company? Like, how? No, does because that they
1: don't offer the whole company. So, oh, like, I see, in I the see. case of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg now has the equivalent. Uh, since after the initial public offering, he owns. We could look it up because it has to be public. But like, let's say he still owns thirty percent of the shares. Um, but then his shares may be special shares where he gets like two times the number of votes. So he may get like. You know, essentially oh, whatever that would be works out to be. But he would get, yeah, right. you know, more votes for his 30% of the shares uh, than than the rest of people or some combination of people basically hold. So in the simplest case where you don't do vote multiplying, it's that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, whoever his other co-founders are own 51% of the shares and they only ever release 49% to be sold.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: So... That that's how they maintain ownership, and then there's all sorts of clever ways to kind of keep ownership without having to own all the stock, keep control, I should say.
0: Gotcha, that makes sense. So yeah,
1: so um, that's how. That so works. yeah,
0: so that's startups in a nutshell. I mean, it's 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 known for being a lot of work, um, for very little pay. Um, but you know, you're looking at the total expected value, so so you know, you're hoping that. You know, if you, if there's some kind of acquisition or something like that, that you can like what they call cash out. So you might work for you know, one fourth of what you could make um, as a regular employee at another company, but you also own, you know, let's say one percent of the company. And so then, if the company becomes as big as Facebook, now you own you know one percent of forty billion, which is which is what four, four hundred, hundred million. million which is a lot of money. Um, so you're taking a chance, you know, you're sacrificing like your pay for a chance to, to, uh, do really well. And I mean, statistically speaking, you, you won't do as well as like a Facebook or Google, which is like highly unlikely. But, um, but, uh, again, like if, if, if it's something you really believe will be successful and it will be like, a acquire or something like that, uh, uh acquisition or something like that, then, uh, um, then you know you could do really well. I mean, if you knew for sure that you would get acquired <laughs> or IPO, if that was a guarantee, that then you, then you would work there. Like like we would all be working at startups. No 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 no, no no. If it was a guarantee,
1: your yeah the the and enti- the incentives would be structured differently,
0: and you wouldn't get the same payout. You're absolutely right. So so uh, what I'm saying is like uh yeah if if there was a guarantee that it could IPO and you were getting. Like like one or two percent of the company or something like that, then everyone would do it. But yeah, then to Patrick's point, like once a company is like Uber, where everyone knows it's going to be successful, then they know that there isn't a risk, and so then there's no reason you, you get
1: know, so you get directly less percentage of the company at that point.
0: Right. Like, but so it can still goes, be really
1: profitable because a lot of times they still really need people, and so yeah. They're willing to, it's, it is easier for them to give stock than dollars.
0: Right, right.
1: So you still can, like, I have no idea, but I assume now you can probably still get a pretty good deal going to Uber, uh, and getting stock because they're more easily payable to you in stock than, than that. But then you're having to hope that by the time you can actually sell that stock, that it'll be worth more than what it is now, which is essentially nothing because you can't sell it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's another thing that's actually good to talk about is is uh, it's very hard to know the value of a non-public company. And and we've seen this, right? Like with Facebook, you know, when Facebook had the IPO, they IPO'd it. And I'm going to get this wrong, but I mean, it was roughly like $30 or $40 dollars a share, which means you take, say, $30 dollars and you multiply by the number of shares, and that's how much you know they think that Facebook as a company is worth but then like within a month they ended up at I think it was like $12 a share so what that means is that the public thought Facebook was worth one-third of what Facebook thought they were worth and I mean it's more complicated than that but but in a nutshell what that means is you know the people who were at Facebook before they went public thought they were getting a certain amount of like they thought that they were worth something like their shares and everything. And then within a month of the IPO they 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 found out that the shares are actually worth a third of what everyone thought they were worth. And so uh there's a lot of uncertainty but um you know because of that risk um you know startups will give you more uh shares and things like that because they know you're taking on a risk that other people aren't willing to take. So.
1: All right, I think it's time to move on yeah. to the news.
0: Okay, so uh, I got the first up, one. Up, this came yeah. from
1: a reader, Benz, and he sent us this. This is kind of interesting. If you uh, have a GitHub account and someone uh, makes a pull request against your repo, re- repository, I don't know, I'm probably getting the exact wording <laughs> wrong because I use too many <laughs> different tools, um, but that basically when that email comes in, now in Gmail, it'll actually give you a little button on the side of the subject line that allows you to gr- directly go and view it. Uh, So essentially there's now integration between Gmail and GitHub uh, for viewing uh, updates and stuff that that come in.
0: That's awesome. Is that like, uh, did they have to work with the Gmail team or is there like an API or something?
1: Uh, I was actually just wondering that and I clicked on it. I don't,
0: (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Well, they're probably.
1: I think it's the, I think the, it's like a way for the uh, like GitHub embed something in their email basically that tells Ah. tells like hey there's this thing uh gmail this is how you render it or whatever
0: gotcha um that makes sense but
1: because gmail is so big i guess it's worth it and so many github users use gmail but like you would probably have to do something different like there's no standard i don't think so like they wouldn't now also get something in
0: yahoo yeah right right yeah Um, cool so yeah my news is on rust so actually I uh we should cover this. Uh this is a brand new well sorry, it's a it's a brand new language to me. <laughs> um but uh I read about it um when I saw this news article. Uh so th- the news article is that Rust 0.12.0 twelve dot zero is released. Um and so I was looking into Rust, and you know I'm not gonna say too much because we should dedicate a show to it. But uh basically it's a it's a um a language that's intended to be very fast for like system softwarey stuff, you know, like C or C++, but the compiler is like very, very smart, um, and they've reduced sort of what you can do a little bit. Although it's 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 almost as fully functional as fully featured as you know C or C++. They just, they just handicap you a tiny bit, but in exchange, the compiler is actually extremely clever, and. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm gonna do more research into it and we'll, we'll have a whole show dedicated to it. But uh, but yeah, you know, take some time and check it out. Uh, if you're into doing low level, you know, C, C++ tasks, um, this could be uh, really cool, so. And it compiles to like machine code and all of that. So if that's important, you know.
1: So the next one is about uh, Intel processors underestimating the error bounds of uh, sine uh, i think it might just be trigonometric functions in general by 1.3 quintillion
0: <laughs> yeah a little bit of sensationalism yeah. yeah
1: so what this is um there will be a link uh, or you may have already seen it or you will or be able to search for it but um so interestingly you design a processor out of silicon silicon and mm-hmm. um they you know it's kind of there forever It just Stuck with whatever is there, and and Intel has some had some famous kind of problems, and what happens when things go wrong, or what inputs, uh, and this one's a little more subtle, and has apparently been around for several years, and the documentation around the various functions are uh, incorrect, and one of it is that uh, I believe it's actually in the processor, as far as I could tell when I was reading it. Now now that I'm thinking, I'm like, hmm, I wonder, because Intel actually also makes a compiler. Um, for their processors. So mm-hmm. I, hope, I hope I'm hope i right in saying this is actually the processor, because I read no, it with it's the an processor. assumption. OK, good. You're right. Because you're right. I read it with an assumption, and now I was like, oh, no, maybe I, OK, anyways. Uh, and so basically, the interesting part of this is that when you do a sign of a number, um, that number could be uh, pretty much, you know, the input could be anything. So in in double or flow, or whatever, the, the range of inputs is as big as you can support in doubles. and uh, obviously, you really only want to define sine as a function of just like the first repeating interval um, or some repeating interval. So, you want to take whatever the input is and essentially wrap it around because sine is periodic, right? So, sine mm-hmm. keeps repeating itself. So, you want to reduce the input to something that's in a very specific range and then give a really precise answer in that range. Um, also you have to. You're forced trying to represent, you know, the infinite part of sine out, and it gets really complicated. And this is actually a really common technique for a lot of things where you have a number that doesn't overflow or have a limit, but actually just keeps wrapping around, and defining that wraparound function. And it turns out that there was a problem when you give a number that is very close to sine, or to pi, very right. close to pi, in the input and they had not as many bits of precision as they thought they had. And so what it causes like a whole, like the the output basically is far less precise than it should have been. And it's actually in the silicon because of the way they're reducing that input, the way they're trying to wrap it around.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you end up with what's called catastrophic cancellation, which is an awesome name. Uh, But basically it just means um, if you try to Subtract two numbers, that um, so in other words, so so just a quick recap on floating point, right? The way floating point works is um, a little more complicated than this, but let's just simplify it. Imagine if you had to say a number like uh, you know uh, point one two three four five, right? So you could just represent that in floating point by saying one two three four five times ten to the negative you know sixth or whatever it is, right? So that's sort of what they do. So they, ha- they end up with like a regular number and then they store an exponent. Now in their case, they do times two to the whatever, but, but uh, let's just pretend it's 10 to make life easy. So if you have like one, two, three, four, five, six, and then another number that's like one, two, three, four, five, seven, then when you subtract those two, all of those first numbers are gonna go to zero. And the difference is going to be one, right? So that's going to cause like your exponent to change a lot too, right? Like you can think in in your head, like think you have these two big numbers, but now you subtracted them and you end up with this little number, and so actually the little number you kind of have a lot of room to the right. Like if there were other numbers, like if it was one two three four five six dot like point seven eight nine ten eleven or seven eight nine 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 nine. Um, you know, those things after the dot become important. Like before, it would, they were small because you had this huge number and then dot and then this tiny piece onto it, right? But as soon as you subtract two huge numbers, then the tiny pieces after the dot, all of a sudden they're important. But if you got rid of them because the number was big and they weren't important, so you, so you chopped them off, it's like you chopped off something that wasn't important, but then it became important later. And that's called catastrophic cancellation. And, so, and that's really bad, right? Um, and so that's exactly what happens when you take a sign of a number close to pi. So.
1: Yeah. And so the reason you get such a large thing is because when you're dealing with 64-bit numbers, uh, it's very easy to quickly escalate things to the point where you have uh, this quintillion counts of error or whatever. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, Math, cool. it's hard, especially floating <laughs> point stuff.
0: Yeah, floating point stuff is just a total nightmare. It's just tricky. Um, There's
1: a lot of corner cases. It's really hard to test very well.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's like deceptively simple. Like, you think it's an easy idea. Like, okay, we'll just take the first few digits, and then we'll put 10 to the whatever. Like, we've been doing scientific notation since we were in, you know, sixth grade or whatever. So you think it's going to be easy, but then the problem is computers are – Like doing so much math on the same number that uh, even if you make like just a tiny little approximation, it can burn you. That's what happens here. And
1: and like you point out, there's all sorts of cases where like in actual math, the order of operations doesn't matter. But in floating point math, it does matter. So like if you multiply a very large number by a very large number by a very tiny number, like the order, the associative rule of how you actually do that will change your answer.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: and you have to be aware of that. Yep, and even people who are trying to do it really well still end up doing it wrong sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, cool. So uh, yes, yeah, so this other news. It's uh, this is only for students, unfortunately, but uh, if you are a student at a high school, university, I think any any institution is fine. Um, then you can get the GitHub Student Developer Pack which looks pretty freaking amazing. Um, it is just a huge laundry list of things that you get for free. Um, so yeah, you get like crowdsourcing from cl- Crowdflower. Uh, you know, you get, a, you get a pro GitHub account. Um, you get the Unreal Engine. Um, you get SendGrid to like programmatically send emails. Um, you just get a ton of amazing stuff for completely free. Uh, for no cost as long as you can prove you're a student um, pretty freaking awesome if you are a student and you're listening to us you're high school college whatever um, get this sign up for this um, it is incredible so um, oh, another thing a little bit of a side note but uh, amazon has something similar um, and get that one too uh, you get like free you know computers like, free, free uh, virtual free web machines ser- on Amazon.
1: Yeah, AWS or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so check that out.
1: Cool. All right. All it's right. time for
0: Book of the Show. Book of the Show. So, my book is uh, called Impro for Storytellers. It's pretty cool. It's this guy. He's a famous... Or, I guess, uh, not famous, but uh, he's a very experienced uh, improvis- improvisational uh, instructor. And so... He does a lot of like uh, corporate events and things like that. He also, you know, teaches, uh, you know, people who have gone on to work at Saturday Night Live or write for Saturday Night Live or things like that. Um, and he wrote this book and he kind of intended it for everyone. He has a similar book that's kind of meant for people who want to get into improvisational comedy, which is for me not that interesting. But, but uh, this book is really cool. It's kind of meant for anyone. And it just talks about sort of, how to be improv- improvisational and how to think creatively and um, how to sort of think on your feet. And um, it seems pretty cool. I mean, I've, I haven't got into it yet, I've only ordered it. So, um, oh, you know, it's like have to a preview. A, yeah, I'll have to give a recap. But, uh, you know, I, I read through uh, some of the preview of it and it's, uh, it looks pretty awesome. And so, yeah.
1: Cool. Mine is, of course, not helpful, it is just a science fiction <laughs> book. The android's dream, which uh, is by John Scalzi, a reference also to the Philip K. Dick "Do androids dream of electric sheep?" I initially thought there was ah. something weird going on there, but it is I think it's just an homage to the other work, uh, and then you make reference of it in the book, uh, and so, um, but it's not in, at all related as far as like the storylines. Uh, and oh, okay. this is the first book by John Scalzi. I think I've read. I may have read one other book by him, um, but he writes. Self-described by him as you know introductory science fiction, so this is um, much closer to just normal fiction, but with sciencey settings. So I I often recommend books which are considered more hardcore science fiction, um, like very deep, you know, all sorts of uh, pseudo y explanations for things, and even <laughs> real science or physics involved. Like this is really plausible. This is more of just of a fun tale. I I don't want to talk too much about it because I I never want to spoil anything. Um, But basically, this is just more of a fun tale. It's in a sort of a science fiction setting, Um, and it was a pretty, it was a, it was a very, I guess, light read, but it was very good.
0: I enjoyed it. Cool, cool, cool.
1: So, if you've tried to get through some of the other very large tomes that I've recommended and you haven't, uh, try this one instead.
0: Cool. Sounds good. Yeah, give it a shot. Tool of the show. Tool of the show. My tool of the show is what I'm using to stream to Twitch right now, which is called Open Broadcaster Software. Um, So Twitch actually recommended it. You know, I went to Twitch trying to figure out how to stream, um, uh, just to stream the show, just kind of for kicks. And uh, they said, hey, use this program. Oh, do we have
1: uh, any viewers of our
0: stream? We have... One person. Oh <laughs> yes, hello, person. <laughs> so, Callen four uh, four four. Major props to you for checking out the Twitch stream. You know, I only gave people an hour's notice, so um, so you know, I wasn't expecting you know a huge turnout or anything like that. But the thing that I really think is cool about Twitch is the is the chat actually. So, you know, people who are you know, actually, I was inspired to stream this because of our user Twitch question. plays Pokemon. Oh. Oh God, that. Uh, no, so user question. As you know, the person said, sort of, what's it like to be in Silicon Valley? Made me think we really should try to get, you know, a bit of a community going, where, where people who like the show and listen to the show can meet each other. Um, Literally zero and people. And uh, we have w- we have one person. So Callan four four four. Props to you. Uh, sorry you couldn't meet anyone, <laughs> 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 um, but you can meet us uh, for what it's worth. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we'll do this maybe you know, a couple more shows and uh, uh, see see sort of what kind of turnout we get. But uh, but yeah, so I'm using this Open Broadcaster software, and uh, um, it's pretty cool. It's actually pretty straightforward to set up. I didn't really. Um, it the only trouble it gave me was um, I made some changes to the settings, and I had to shut it shut down the program and restart it for the setting to for the changes to take effect. But I didn't know that that I you know, it w- it, they didn't tell me to restart the program. So just a minor nit. Um, but you know, it. Uh, other than that, it pretty much worked out of the box. And uh, uh, yeah, pretty cool, pretty cool tool. Um, nice. Also, they have a version for Mac and a version for Linux is coming. So yeah. Cool.
1: M- mine is also video related sort of, and that is Plex, uh, which is at plex.tv. Or I think you can just search Plex. Um, And this is a combination of things, uh, which is, I guess, somewhat controversial, but I enjoy it, which is a server that you run on, I think they have Windows and Linux, at least I run both the Windows and the Linux ones, servers, and um, a client uh, has a web interface, or also it has uh, Android apps, iOS apps, uh, whatever you want, it works on, I have a Chromecast and that's how I use it a lot, it works on the Chromecast and what it does, it will serve you all of your media, I think it does audio pictures, uh, videos you kind of uh, run the server you point it at where your media is stored uh, and if it's for instance music it'll be able to access IMDB, properly populate it, give you all the kind of what we come to expect, ability to, to kind of search from it, uh, at least I think that works well, and then uh, if you have like your tablet or your phone, and you have the app, You know it's able to stream from your network and, and stream it across. And you say, well, there's like a thousand ways to do this. I've talked about various ways before, UPnP ways, DLNA ways, um, and Plex, I think actually does support uh, any DLNA client or maybe even UPnP client, I don't know. Um, but the one nice things it does is it does, will handle the transcoding. And it's the first one I found that actually just works. So it, ah. it is mostly free um they there are some features like casting to a chromecast they actually you have to pay to get that feature um and i kind of feel bad Wait, how does
0: that work like where do they how do they make you pay like so, through the app? so if you have
1: in the app that actually does the casting and there's probably ways around it but i i didn't bother with it because i wanted to support them uh because it actually works uh and when you it won't if you haven't uh signed in with a essentially a paid account it won't give you the option to cast either or oh. if you try to cast i think it tells you like oh you need to upgrade gotcha. or whatever how much um, is
0: it a monthly fee or is yeah it a so i
1: actually just uh I mean, this is kind of a shame i bought like the lifetime subscription i've never had tivo and we don't have cable so i guess okay. this is like my one of my cable replacement expenses um yeah, is right. so, so like I, it might have recently gone up i saw emails about that but uh, i think i paid like 75 dollars mm-hmm. once
0: Wow, that's great.
1: But it's kind of pricey, like $75, and there are oh, open-source alternatives. Oh, okay, that's actually a lot Dang. more. Dang. Um, <laughs> but, but like I said, it just works. Uh, there's probably other ways of doing it, and I like looked online um, and you know tried to find a non-paying way of doing it, like every good software engineer person. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Not No, I don't mean like I tried to steal it, but I just mean like I tried to – Like, look at open source ones, you know, just like native Linux ones. And there were, but, you know, they don't really work on Chromecast. They don't really handle, like, transcoding on the fly. They're picky about, you know, what media you can use, whatever. This one just works, and it works really well for me. Um, And this gets into one of those, uh, uh, I'm not a lawyer. I can't advise you. You probably shouldn't follow. But I have a friend who, uh, you know, (laughs) has kids and wanted to be able to stop having to go pull out, like, DVDs of cartoons to stick on for them. And it turns out if you kind of record those DVDs on your computer and if there's a legal way to do that and you did that and you use this to serve them up to your TV, it makes it great because uh, it would make it great because you could then not have to go get the DVDs and stick them in for your children when they wanted something. You could actually just show them the pictures of all the covers and and have them choose which one they wanted to watch.
0: Yeah, this is awesome. I'm definitely going to have to try this out. Do they have like a free... Wait, what does the premium get you again? So I think
1: that's just if you only, if you want to, so you can install the server, see that it's correctly picking up your stuff and streaming it over the web interface. Um, and then it's just, if you want to Chromecast it, I think is the only thing I use it oh, for. Oh, I see, I see. It also offers you the ability to like do remote syncing. So like uh, now that I have the subscription, I can, <clears throat> my phone can upload my pictures to my server as backup, like automatically uh, and some other features like that.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Cool that's awesome so, yeah i'm anyways. actually going to install this tonight
1: all right yeah well let me know like I've, I've recommended even other ones similar to this on the show but this is the first one that i've stuck with because it actually seems to work really well
0: yeah yeah that sounds awesome yeah i have a linux box that's plugged in the tv um that's running ubuntu that i'll definitely install this on. all right yeah um oh, a little bit of a tangent i installed FreeBSD on a virtual like virtual box um like virtual machine just to see because you know if it keeps coming up, like this Plex. You know, they have a binary for FreeBSD. and uh, um, and it came up, you know, work and things like that. And so I was like, look, let me just look at this, and because I never quite understood um, what free BSD really was. Mm-hmm. And again, like I, I played with it for maybe you know an hour, so I still don't don't really know. You know, I I, I think it's like uh, the big difference between it and Linux is the license. So in other words, you can use FreeBSD commercially and, and it's okay. You know, like you could even modify the source code and, and not contribute back or w- I don't know. But uh, so, so there's sort of like political reasons why you'd want to use FreeBSD. But uh, it seems like just uh, not as good as Linux. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like it could be just because I'm used to using Linux. But like, for example, the first thing I did was I tried to, you know, sudo a command so that I didn't have to be root and sudo like doesn't exist in freebsd. There's some deep.
1: other methodology for doing it, yeah.
0: Yeah, either that or or you have to log in. So, and I used to be into like Linux in
1: distributions and stuff and I gave up and now I'm just on Ubuntu. On uh, the same way. And it's just because it, it, like it, there's literally only one reason. It isn't philosophical, political nothing. It's because when I have a problem and I write in Ubuntu and then my problem, I'm most likely to get my answer than any other distribution. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's totally true. Like it sounds horrible and I like it's just enough people use it now that like I can typically find an answer to my problem. Yep. I don't have to post my own thing, I don't have to like hack on it for an hour. Um, if there's some like oh, you know, like you were talking earlier about open broadcaster software is gonna have a Linux, I know they'll most likely have a Debian or Ubuntu version uh, right. because it's so popular and I can just install it and it's almost guaranteed to work.
0: I remember like when Ubuntu first came out and uh, like right off the bat, it was just so superior to all the other distributions in terms of its user friendliness. And I remember like immediately saying, like I was using, I think, Gentoo, and Ubuntu came out and I was like, okay, I'm done. Like they Im- I immediately converted. Um, and you know, they just keep getting better and better. And you know Ubuntu is, uh, um, has a huge like, uh, um, like investor. It's actually made in, I think, South Africa or it's at least a South African investor who owns the Ubuntu company. And uh, so it's just very well-funded. And I think that's the reason why it's so, so polished. Um, but anyways, it's a little digression. There. All right, we're on to so
1: funky languages.
0: Funky languages. So everyone get out your, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, bell bottoms and your, you know, Afro wigs and uh you're well, going back lights. to the seventies. Going back disco. to the seventies. So uh uh so yeah, so one of them we'll just kind of go through them and and, and uh and talk about them briefly. So uh my favorite is uh one of my favorites is White Space. And as exactly how it sounds. It's all tabs. Oh, first of all, props to whoever suggested this. I, I don't remember who it is, but somebody wrote in and you told know us who you deer. are. Yeah. So uh so props to you. I'll, I'll see if I if, if there's a little break, I can look you up. But uh, this is a great idea for, for a show. Um, so whitespace is all tabs, spaces, and new lines. So so literally, that is the language. Um, so you know, like one tab means something. Two consecutive tabs means something else. You know, so on and so forth. Um, so you know, obviously, you'll have to use an editor. Which can tell you where a tab is versus four spaces. <laughs> so you have to have one that <laughs> sort of highlights the tabs. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, all of these languages are fully functional. Like you could write anything to them. They're Turing complete,
1: but they're not necessarily anyone would ever attempt to write actual programs in them. Any yeah, anything right. other than fun. Like we don't think these are productive for efficient uses of your time in any way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, don't bring these up in an interview.
1: <laughs> oh, well, so, so this white space one, I literally had a conversation today at work where uh, at, at the job I work at, when we do interviews, we do them on whiteboards or chalkboards, but, but mostly whiteboards. And I, I said that I'm going to scare the next interview candidate by saying we're going to do coding in white space on the whiteboard.
0: <laughs> you could have a like sort of like a fight club moment like at the end of fight club the guy says you know he realizes he's well, are you spoiler spoil don't it. spoil <laughs> um but 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 uh that could totally backfire because you could say you have to write it in white space and the person could say i've just wrote every ar-
1: program possible
0: or, or like i already did there's the perfect answer it's on the board <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that was, that was um, just a yeah. joke, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So so white space. Uh, one kind of funny thing about it. Another funny thing about it is, um, um, it it ignores any real characters, and so languages like you know Java and C ignore white space. So, um, so you can actually write a C plus C++ program that has a white space program embedded inside of it, and like. If you compiled it with the whitespace compiler, you'd get one program that worked, and if you compiled it with the C++ compiler, you'd get a different program that also worked, but uh, you know potentially did something different. They could also do the same. Actually, that would be pretty cool if they have a whitespace. It's so like uh, they
1: do the, both programs do identical things.
0: Yeah, if they have a C++ to whitespace transpiler, but but one that respected the fact that like there's some spaces that have to be there. Oh, you know, like, sounds like, complicated.
1: Not doing this in Python.
0: Oh, yeah, Python, this wouldn't work. But it'd be pretty cool to write a program which took your C++ program and figured out and transpiled it to Whitespace and then put the Whitespace in the program. But anyways, <laughs> it's crazy talk. Um, okay. So that's Whitespace.
1: Uh, I'll be back with the next one. i don't don't have very many arnold schwarzenegger quotes but the next one is arnold c and uh most of the keywords and function calls are replaced with arnold schwarzenegger movie quotes i actually don't know where some of these are from uh and i probably will not do any more impersonation voices i need to (laughs) read jason's acting book that he recommended Um, (laughs) yeah right so it's showtime talk to the hand with hello world and you have been terminated that's not Arnold voices. <laughs> that was terrible. Alright, you want to try Jason?
0: Um Yeah, I mean so nope, the Hello World.
1: It. Okay, go ahead. Oh wait, what's that? Go ahead, yeah, do it. In in the right. Yeah, accent. the Hello
0: World goes uh It's show time. <laughs> oh no no, it's like uh how does he go like talk to the hand? <laughs> nope. I work with some guy who's Austrian. He's Austrian, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger? Um, I actually work with a guy who's Austrian, and he does sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do you tell him
1: that? Because I'm sure no one's ever told him that.
0: Uh, I'm sure everyone, yeah. Everyone tells him that. Um, Yeah. And And so when when the Arnold C. program exits, instead of just, you know, exit with parentheses, it goes, you have been terminated.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So um, this one's only awesome if you say all of them in the Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, uh, real quick, the guy who had the idea was Ryan. Um, so, props to you, Ryan. He didn't give us a last name or where he's from or anything. But, uh, but props to you. This is a great idea for a show, Ryan. Thanks. Okay. So, next one um,
1: is involving more of your senses. That's so instead right. instead of just your eyes, you should also involve your ears and hear the music of your
0: code. That's right. So, the next one is Valato. volato but uh, yes. it's a so the input to the compiler is a MIDI file so in other words you know you, you, you play a song on your keyboard you give that song to the Valedo compiler and out comes a computer program <laughs> so it's pretty wild um, you can actually hear your source code um, before you build it so this one was actually interesting because when I was reading up about it
1: um, it's actually you need to know f- some music theory <laughs> to even understand what it's saying so for instance to, uh, to have an, assi- a, you know, an assignment, a variable assignment, then you have to play your second note as a minor third over the first note, you don't need a third note and then the variable is a single note, then the expression <laughs> I, I don't even know what that means I have no idea what you just <laughs> an if statement is a third note being the perfect fifth,
0: okay do they have a transpiler like can i can i take you know uh like some code at work and turn it into velado and then play it i don't
1: i don't know that'd be cool and then just like listen to what your existing one sounds like
0: yeah 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 be like wow this is what you know this library sounds (laughs) like it has (laughs) it even
1: has allowances so the command note which is your root note and these other intervals are on top of those to you know say basically if or whatever can uh kind of move around to allow for less repetitive like actually make it sound musical
0: oh i see
1: uh yeah so
0: this one's interesting interesting.
1: it's just beautiful to look at the program because it just looks like crazy like that that music that i could never play because it's not just one note at a time and
0: uh they really should have a thing in wikipedia i mean not wikipedia wikipedia has this but they should have a thing on this particular page where you could hear the program uh yeah you know, uh, like, yeah wikipedia will pronounce something oh actually they have it it's right here okay hang on i'm gonna, gonna play, play it? it oops hang on let me go we're back. gonna get a I'm dnca takedown it. here's hello world okay it actually there's like two-thirds of it left but yeah that's that's hello okay world i heard nothing i was gonna
1: say it sounds a lot like my programs just empty <laughs> Wait, you didn't hear anything? No, it's okay though. Well, uh, hopefully we found it, or this will be. Well, I I definitely played
0: it. Hopefully the uh, your audio recording heard it. it.
1: All right, all right, cool, cool. Um,
0: Maybe, yeah, maybe uh, we'll we'll check it later. Don't worry about it. In the editing, you should just you should just mux it in. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Anyways, uh,
1: it will have been muxed in. Yeah. Ignore this uh, conversation.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The um, what was I gonna say? Uh, The Wikipedia page has a link to the MP3 if you guys want to listen to it. Cool. All right. So, um, the next one is Piet. Do you want to talk about Piet?
1: So, uh, our previous one was constructing musical programs. This one is, uh, using your drawing artiste ability to construct (laughs) programs. Uh, and this is actually, so, um, Piet, I believe is the name of, is it Mondrian? Mondrian Piet is the guy who created those Uh, kind of like abstract square paintings where like there's like a red uh, a red rectangle and a blue mon- rectangle, maybe I'm completely. Uh, you're right. Piet Mondrian. Oh, I said it wrong. I think I said Mondrian Piet. Anyways, Piet Mondrian. So if you look at his pictures, there's like a classical. Like I didn't know specifically, but I have seen his pictures before. Like, uh, prime primary colored squares with like black outlines. Almost look like a stained glass window in 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 some ways. And he's kind of famous yep. for those paintings. And so someone made a programming language which uses that same similar style to actually be the program so it uses the colors and the pixel locations to create what the program is uh, and of all the pages this one actually seems like the most filled out with like here's the compiler and here's like the documentation and here's alternative ones and here's some gallery of uh, you know collected ones so this one seems pretty well put together
0: yeah I love it and if you look at the if you go to the Piat website and you look at the sample programs they have like hello world um, they have one that prints like Fibonacci numbers, um, but then they have one it says Towers of Hanoi. This program solves the Towers of Hanoi problem. Don't ask me how it works. I have no idea. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> you know you have a good um, funky programming language when nobody knows. Even the person who owns the language website doesn't know how how your program works.
1: Yeah, so, uh, again, I I have no idea that you could be at all productive in this, especially since, like, it appears that some of the colors are fairly close, like different shades of red. So, A, if you're colorblind, I I, I think you're just in trouble.
0: Oh, yeah. And, Yeah, And then
1: even if you're just, like, there's, like, different shades of purple represent different things. And maybe if you're, like, a designer and you're, like, really into various colors, like, this would work, but...
0: So somebody wrote a Piet, um, transpiler, like a Piet assembler, they're calling it. Okay. And, uh, um, and so they took a video game, a text adventure game and, uh, compiled it to Piet. And it is, as you would expect, just like a gigantic. So if you're, if you're watching the stream, you can actually see what I'm seeing, which is just a gigantic image. And, uh supposedly if you compiled this image with the PiET compiler you'd get a text adventure game <laughs> Ooh, fun! <laughs> pretty cool yeah
1: but if, you know did you ever use what was that uh oh why is the name escaping me now the one with the little turtles and you can move the turtles
0: oh yeah logo
1: logo yes uh it's kind of like that like i feel like these programs should like be animated like actually do stuff when they run like produce yeah, <laughs> produce yeah. pictures as the output as well
0: yeah like if like the, it seems um,
1: anticlimactic that you draw this beautiful program of music or whatever and then the output is like an actual executable that just runs and does normal stuff
0: yeah yeah totally there should be like a memory visualizer or something so oh cool. there
1: you go yeah
0: yeah yeah i wonder if the you should get like on that, that jason all your free time. yeah i'll get right on that all your free time. All my free time yeah oh man um Cool. Right. Yeah, that's so there's a ton of these funky languages. Many more. Um yeah, yeah, definitely check them out. We covered uh, you know most of the major ones. Ah, um, the major ones. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did it.
1: That was a music reference. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh man. Um so uh uh yeah, we covered most of them, but uh there's there's plenty more and uh, you know especially the ones that have you know the assemblers or transpilers where you can take you know, your college project and turn it into um, Valeto or Piet without any, um, you know, work on your part. That would be pretty hilarious to, s- to submit that. You know what I mean? So it's like, like, no, like no. Yeah, well, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but no. like if you, if you could somehow submit a Piet drawing instead of your homework, but then maybe like also submit your homework. <laughs> Then uh programming interviews,
1: cool. do not do programming interviews in valedo and like drawing notes on the boards <laughs> and bass clefts and no, don't do that.
0: Yeah, could you imagine if someone said uh yeah, I only write in Piet. And I'm gonna need a marker of each type <laughs> of each color
1: <laughs> Oh no, no, okay. <laughs> this is devolving quickly. Alright, well oh if we missed gosh. your favorite uh funky language, you can write us and let us know. Uh, Maybe we'll have to do funky languages part two. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So. This is a lot of fun. Um,
1: Thank you guys for your so. continued comments of uh, that we're doing good. That you don't like something. That uh, you have questions for us. It's all really good. Recently, I, I was browsing uh, the tech category of podcasts in iTunes and noticed that of all tech podcasts, so that includes things like Leo Laporte's, like This Week in Tech. Uh, you know, some really big, major brand. Uh, podcast. We were number seventy four, so that was pretty good. I have yeah, no idea what totally arbitrary awesome. rating they're using, but uh, we were number seventy four, <laughs> so I was happy to see our little icon in the list with all these other like. Hey, I know what that podcast is, and hey, like those people are big.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, thanks a lot, guys, for for your support. I mean, you're the reason why uh, why uh, you know we get uh, we get the downloads and the and the ratings, things like that. So we definitely appreciate it um you know we're, we're doing we're gonna do this twitch stream for at least a couple more shows so uh feel free to jump on it looks like we're up to like three people <laughs> so yeah so, Okay, so uh, that's
1: current viewers but how many like over the course have viewed our stream
0: oh i haven't been looking uh, but uh i was gonna i was gonna
1: make fun of us and then i briefly went to twitch and noticed the one on their main like their homepage that they were featuring was people sitting around a table playing uh, pen and paper dungeons and dragons so i'm not <laughs> sure that we're that far off from that so maybe it not such a bad idea
0: <laughs> oh, no man. offense to dungeons um, and dragons or no, all the I wonderful mean, people
1: I, playing it i'm sure it was i've awesome. played
0: pen and paper before it's been fun but uh um yeah so so uh you yeah, know thanks a lot for your support it's been awesome <laughs> Um, you know, uh, next time I'll give people more notice. Um, and, uh, you you can jump on and talk to some of the other people who are, uh, you know, who are fans of the show. Um, what else we, uh, hopefully we answered. Oh, oh oh one other thing is, uh, you know, last episode I talked about rejection sampling. (laughs) Um, so I briefly talked about this idea of like distributions and sampling, easy distributions, you know, to get more difficult distributions. And anyways, um, you know, so, so check back on the last episode if you want to recap of that. But somebody was sort of inspired from that and then kind of did some research on Wikipedia and stuff like that and actually implemented rejection sampling. And let me actually put it in the show notes. Um, so check this link out. This guy actually implemented it in IPython Notebook. And so you can actually run it in the browser and uh um and see the result and stuff like that, even as like visual. No, talk about viewer feedback. Yeah, it's pretty freaking awesome. So uh so props to you for, for doing that. Um and uh yeah, and it actually made me check out iPython notebook, like give it another look, and actually I think it's pretty awesome. Um, definitely a big fan. So I don't I'm think I said this, this last about. time,
1: but um, I have a little bit of a confession to make. So I think okay. when uh, when I was in what is this? Probably like uh, fifth grade, sixth grade science fair. I actually essentially did this for my science fair project.
0: <laughs> oh, really? You made like a notebook so,
1: kind of thing? No, no. So I made. A random number generator out of like electrical components that I'd found, you know, like some uh, like in Radio Shack or whatever. And you would push the button and it would give you a random number. And then I collected a whole bunch of random numbers. Then like uh, used I think it was like Mathematica at the time to like plot them all, you know, with like a quarter quadrant of a circle and like determine how many were were in or out of the circle. And basically calculated pi using my random number generator as my science fair project
0: wow did you win that sounds like an amazing project so uh, no oh yeah my science fair project was was terrible it actually you're gonna laugh my science fair project literally was a solar powered flashlight literally like i i felt like it, if you were like trying to look into an area but the flashlight could still have Wait, solar i didn't power. get it so
1: i didn't get it at first <laughs> i was like why, why are you being so down on yourself that sounds fine and then i'm like oh wait <laughs>
0: <laughs> like it, it only worked for like a minute because like the capacitor was tiny right it was just is terrible oh. but uh so sebastian uh rashka i'm uh, sorry if i butchered your name but sebastian's the one who um actually wrote this ipython notebook nice. And uh, it's very. It, cool. And i so wasn't putting it down by Sebastian. saying I did
1: that like as a science fair project a long time ago. I was just admitting no, no, that how I nerdy. Think, I, I was. mean,
0: if I was the judge, you would have won first place. No, but and I think the judges awesome didn't get it.
1: So part. I think like someone who did like do trees do better with rock music or not won.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. So, like, you were like a, like a savant, like. No, no, it wasn't that you. at all.
1: It was just very like it's out there, right? People are like I, I don't get it, like. Yeah. It, you, yeah. Anyways, it was more math than science. I blame myself.
0: Yeah, you ended up, like, two positions below the rock music, but you did better than the guy who made Facebook for the <laughs> science fair project. What? The judges are just that no. out of touch. No. <laughs> um, oh, no. Okay. Uh, All right. I think they were, we're like Y Combinator up. judges. <laughs>
1: okay, wrapping this up. Until next time. All right.
0: Yeah, we're getting in trouble. So uh, thanks a lot for the support, you guys. Uh, the community is awesome. We love the feedback, the emails, the questions. Uh, people who take what we say and actually implement it um, uh, totally props to you guys. And uh, yeah, the next time we go on Twitch, we'll give you, we'll give you, you know, a couple of days or a week notice um, so we can get, you know, uh, uh, sort of more community. There's some people chatting in there, but, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll get more people on there and you can give us some instantaneous feedback if we mess up or something like that. <laughs> All right, cool. Sounds good. All right. Have a good one guys. See you later. Yeah. The intro music is AXO by Binar Pilot. Programming Throwdown is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 2.0 license. You're free to share, copy, distribute, transmit the work, to remix, adapt the work, but you must provide uh, attribution uh, to uh, Patrick and I and uh, share alike in kind.